believe that this morning? I tell you, I think, I think before we go any farther, maybe we just need to take a moment before we pray. And so I'm just going to ask you today, would you just settle into that truth that you were loved? Would you just say this out with me? I am loved. I am accepted. And I am forgiven. I tell you, there's days and weeks that go by that I don't feel loved. You feel that way? But today, truth trumps feelings. Amen? Truth always trumps feelings. And so today, we're just going to declare, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you that that's not just the truth we sing, that's the truth we can declare. That you love us. And God, even when I don't feel it, your truth trumps it. Even when the world knocks me down, your truth trumps it. Even when I am faithless and living in sin and rebellion, your truth still trumps my actions. God, we can declare today with all confidence and all certainty that we are loved by you. And we know it because what Scripture tells us in Romans 5, 8, that you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And can I pray for the person here today that's wrestling with that, that they would be reminded of that simple line in that song, that if grace were an ocean, we'd all be sinking. That's how big, that's how wide, and that's how deep your love is for us. And may we just settle in into that today as we open your word. Lord, we love you. And may we not only celebrate your love for us, but today may we declare our love for you. We love you, Lord. Lord, it's in your precious son's name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Good morning. Man, we're so glad that you're here today. And today, we are going to continue in our series, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. And as we kind of jumped into the series back a few weeks ago, what we discovered was this, is that not only did Jesus have extraordinarily powerful words, he also had unbelievable and powerful actions. We saw Jesus do things that should just kind of blow our mind. I know we're 21st century America. We've read the Bible possibly. We've heard the stories. We've heard the sermons. But I think sometimes we got to go back to the moment and go, this should just blow my mind. For example, when Jesus is in the middle of a great storm, a seismos, a mega seismos, an unbelievable storm, what we would consider kind of a hurricane status, and all the disciples think life is over, and Jesus gets up, and what does Jesus do? He speaks to the storm, and Mark says, gospel says, he says, peace be still, and the storm stopped. That should blow our mind, right? That Jesus in the middle of a hurricane kind of storm stands up, speaks a word, and even the storm obeys him. And if that's not enough, he goes on and he encounters some guys that are demon-possessed. And what does he do? He doesn't just try to, he didn't like have a chant. He doesn't like take a moment and just back off and pray about it. He takes a moment and he says one word, go. And the demons left the guys and they found themselves into pigs. I mean, that should blow our mind. Or what about the leper that came to Jesus and Jesus didn't just speak the words to the leper. What did he do? He what? He touched him, right? You don't do that. But Jesus did that. Well, what about the Roman guy that came to him and said, hey, I've got a servant that's sick in my house, and I need her healed, but you don't have to go see her. You don't need to touch her, Jesus. All you need to do is to speak the words, and it will happen. And Jesus spoke the words, and she was what? She was healed. 
So when I look at this last few weeks, and as we've gone through chapter 8 and now be in chapter 11, I'm just blown away with knowing the powerful words of Jesus, but the powerful actions of Jesus. But let me tell you what really has impacted my life the most. What has really impacted and inspired me is the extraordinary faith of the people that we've been introduced to. Now, when you look to the disciples, isn't it funny that the disciples that should have all the faith in the world are the ones he looks to and says, why you of little faith, right? He rebukes them. But you've got people that were the outcasts of the world. You've got people that were marginalized and ostracized, like the Roman, like the leper. And it seems to be those people, they come to Jesus and they, they express this unbelievable faith in him. Do you remember what the, the leper said? He said, listen, I know that if you will, you can. In other words, if you want to, and you may not want to, but I know that you can do this. I know you can heal me. What an extraordinary faith. And as I look through the pages of chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, I continue to see the faith of people. And I'm not just talking about a simple belief. Remember, we define faith as this, the absolute conviction that Jesus is able. Amen? That's faith, that he, that he is who he said he is and that he will do all that he's promised he will do. And I've seen that faith over and over again. In fact, as I look at this faith, this absolute conviction these people have, it reminds me that's the kind of faith that I need to have. That's the kind of faith you need to have. That's the kind of faith we need to live by, that when life is not understandable, when we don't see God's hand, when we're not sure what's happening, there's something in us that says, Lord, I still have faith. I still have this absolute conviction that you're in control and that you are able. And I hope as we've gone these last several weeks, you've been inspired with that kind of faith as well. Now, today we're going to look at a passage, and I'm just going to be honest. It's a passage that uh, I've been a Christian for almost 37 years now. And I would say this, it's a passage I have never heard a sermon on. I think it's one of those passages that as you're going through, it's an easy one to skip. And here's why I think most people maybe skip it, is because this passage we're going to look at today is not a picture of extraordinary faith, it's a picture of extraordinary doubt. We don't like talking about doubt, right? We don't talk about faith, yeah, build us up, but, but I think, can, can, we, can, we, can we be honest today, everybody, yeah, can we be honest, amen? Yeah, I think if we're going to be honest, then man, God's, when God's going to do his greatest work in us, and I think some of us wrestle with doubt. Now, the doubt we're going to see today is not the doubt of salvation, like, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. It's not that doubt. It's worse than that. It's a doubt that says, I'm not sure Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be. I'm not sure that he's able. I'm not sure that he is who he claimed to be. I'm not sure he can do all that he promised he could do. And so the guy that we're going to look at today has this unextraordinary, not faith, but this extraordinary doubt. Where he once had conviction, now there is uncertainty. And so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. And I want us to take a look at this guy. And I want to look at, you know, who was he? You know, why he doubted? But most importantly, how did Jesus respond to his doubt? Now, before you go any further, let's just, let's just put us all in the same playing field here. If I was a betting man, and I'm not, well, I'd bet on Jesus, I guess, but, but other than that, I'm not a betting man, I would say this, everyone in this room at some point in your life either has, are having, or will have a moment of doubt. A moment that when life hits you, you back up and go, really, God? I don't get it. That makes sense to me. Have you said in Romans 8.28 that you work all things together for the good for those who love you and are called, well, I love you. But I don't see good in this. You say that you never leave me nor forsake me, but I feel abandoned right now, God. 
And I think everybody in this room can understand the feeling of doubt. Now, here's what we typically do. We back off and go, that is so unspiritual. We sweep it under the rug, but the doubt never goes away. And we just kind of let it grow and grow and grow. And today, I want us to deal with a doubt that may be raging inside of us. Can we do that today? We're going to look at a guy who wrestled with some doubt. And I think you're going to be surprised by the guy who doubted Jesus. Look with me in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 1 through 6. Well, can we just stand in honor reading God's word? I know we've had you up and down a lot today. But here at Cross Life, we believe in exercise. So here we go. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6 says this. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard who was in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. May God bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Now, as I read this, and I look at this, I, here's, I want to identify who the doubter is. Now, typically, if you've been to church at any level for any period of time, when we talk about doubt, what is the one name that always pops up? Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He got such a bad rap. I mean, I feel bad for Thomas because Thomas actually, most of the time, exuded so much faith, but one moment of doubt, and we've kind of labeled him for, for, for millennials now. So, so we just kind of, we've, we labeled him. But this guy is not Thomas. This guy is John the Baptist. Now think about that. Some of you are like, I don't know who John the Baptist is, but I'm about to tell you. Some of you are like, you mean John? That John? Yeah, that John. Died of Jesus. Now who was John? First of all, he was a cousin of Jesus, right? Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. In fact, when Mary went to tell Elizabeth that she was pregnant, not with just any child, but the Son of God, the Bible says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb did what? It leaped. Even the baby in the womb goes, that's a big deal. Right? Imagine that one, moms, right? I mean, the one, that, the one that you come to tell, that's a big deal. So he's a cousin of Jesus. Listen to this. He's also the forerunner of Jesus. John's gospel, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple, tells us that John came to prepare the way for Jesus. That John was the one out preaching. John was the one out there saying, there's a Messiah that's coming, and you need to be ready for him. So here's how you get ready. Repent. That was John's message. He was the forerunner for Jesus. Knowing that, but John was the one who baptized Jesus. Do you remember that story? We're going to come to that in the 1st of May. We're going to come back to Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus. But just real quickly, here's what happened. John's baptizing people, and Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. And you probably remember the exchange, but John looks at him and says, man, I'm not even worthy to carry your sandals. I'm not the one to baptize you. Now, why would John say that? Because he had this unbelievable conviction that this was the Messiah, that this was the one from God, that this is the one that came to seek and to save that which was lost. John had this unbelievable conviction that this is the man. I'm not worthy to hold your sandals. And at that baptism, do you remember what John experienced? It says after he'd been baptized and came up from the water, what happened? The heavens opened. A Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and the voice of God spoke. Think about that. You're just John. You're just a preacher. And you're like, this is, this is, this is like the, the Son of God. And oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm baptizing you into yourself. I, mean, I don't know what's happening. But this is, this, this is just launching a ministry. And then heavens open. 
And the Holy Spirit comes like a dove, and the voice of God speaks. What a moment to put on your resume, right? And what does God say? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. If there was ever a moment that John was confirmed that this was the son of God, that this is the Messiah, that this is the one that have come to save the world, it was that moment. The voice of God was heard by John. That's the John I'm talking about. He baptized Jesus. He was there in that moment. He's also someone, you know, he baptized Jesus, but he was the one in John 3.30 that when he saw Jesus said, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. Now think about this for a moment. Here's a guy, the cousin of Jesus, the one to prepare the way for Jesus, the baptizer of Jesus who heard the voice of God, the one who pointed to Jesus and said, listen, gang, and to his own disciples, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, he, the man, let's all follow him. That's the guy that now has doubts. Now, if I, if I was just to ask you, would you ever think, if you didn't know this passage, would you ever think John the Baptist the forerunner, the cousin, the baptizer, the one who declared that he is the Messiah. You ever, would you ever think somebody that was that invested, that much part of the team would ever have had a moment of this heavy of doubt? Would you have ever thought it? But he does. Somehow he went from an unbelievable certainty to uncertainty. Somehow he went from an unbelievable conviction of who Jesus was and is to a great, great deal of confusion. Now, here's why I want to labor that for a moment, because we're not immune to this. I'm going to tell you, there may be moments in your life when you're so close to the Lord, I mean, you feel like God is moving your life and speaking you through the word, or speaking you through prayer, and you and the Lord are just walking in rhythm and in sync, and then you may find a season of your life where you're like, I don't feel you, I don't sense you, I, can't, I don't know if like I'm experiencing you, and you have doubt creeping. Listen, we are not immune to what John the Baptist went through. John had great conviction. Now we find him with great doubt. That could be your story too. Maybe it has been your story. Maybe it is your story. Or maybe one day it will be your story. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to look at why in the world and what led to John the Baptist doubting of who Jesus was. And I think there's two things I want you to write down. Here's the first one. It's this. Maybe it was overwhelming circumstances. Overwhelming circumstances. Let's go back to verse 2. Look at me in verse 2. It says, now when John heard in prison, now stop right there. Where's John at when all this stuff's going on? He's in prison, right? He's in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been in prison. Maybe you have been in prison. Maybe you know somebody's been in prison, but the prison's probably not the best place you want to hang out, right? And so here's this guy. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. Here's this guy who's hearing all this stuff about Jesus, but he's in prison. Here's a guy who fearlessly preached the good news, preached the Messiah that was coming, right? This is a guy that stood out and, and his loincloth and just preached his heart out and said, repent, and, and basically was preparing the path. This guy was fearless in his preaching. This guy, most scholars would say, this guy was the last prophet of God, like an Old Testament prophet, the one who stands on the street corner and just declares repentance and declares God's love and either get it or you know punishment's coming, that this is the last prophet of God. We see him in the New Testament, but this is it. So this is a holy guy. This is a loyal guy. This is a faithful guy. But listen to me. Look at me. Where did that get him? Think about it. 
A guy committing his life to preaching a message about a coming Messiah. Sounds a lot like our story, right? Because he is coming again. Amen? And so a guy preaching a gospel about a coming Messiah. A guy who's loyal, who's faithful to the Lord to do everything God has told him to do. And where did that land him? Now, see, as, a, as in my earthly, fleshly sense of this, that's offensive to me. Right? And I'm about to make you offended with me as well. Okay, I want you to join my offense. Because there's a part of me as a human, I think, okay, Lord, if I dedicate my life to you, if I surrender myself to you, and I am faithful and I am passionate to do what you've called me to do and to serve you and to love you and to preach your good news, what I expect in return is at least some sense of blessing on my life. Amen? You feel that way? Some of you are like, no, I don't feel that way. Yes, you do. We do. We want God to bless us because of that. We definitely don't want to feel like we've been afflicted, right? We don't want to say, Lord, I'm, I'm living for you. I'm serving you. I'm doing what you call me to do. And, the, and the, what I would desire more than anything is that you would chastise me for it, that you would afflict me for it, and that you'd put me into prison, Lord. None of us pray that prayer. So when I look at John, I try to go, okay, what's going on for him? But here's a guy who was faithful, and where did that land him? It landed him in prison. Now, prison, think about it for a minute. This is a place of great loneliness, isn't it? It's a place of abandonment. It is a place where real criminals hang out, which he was not one of, much like Jesus. This also is a place, I believe, where questions begin to arise. Think with me for a moment. You're John. You're faithful. You're preaching. You're loyal. You've sold out for the Lord, and you found yourself in prison. Are you just a bit frustrated? Are you a bit beginning to question and go, God, what's up with this? Where are you, God? I did what you called me to do. I'm obeying you. Where are you? I don't understand, Lord. And so when you look at John, he finds himself in prison, but it's not just prison. It's a place where he feels possibly abandoned. It's a place where he feels like, hey, I've been afflicted. It's a place of loneliness, but more importantly, it's probably a place where questions begin to arise like, was I really bought into the right thing? Because the return on this is not what I expected. Now, just real quickly, just think with me for a moment. Can you understand, possibly, why John might have begun to doubt? Can you understand that? Now, please don't be super spiritual. Say, nope, nope, nope. Affliction and trials and tribulations are part. I know that. But let's just be human for a moment. When I'm living passionately for the Lord, I want God to continue to bless me, nurture me, because I want to continue to live. But all of a sudden, if I find myself landed in a situation that seems to be an affliction, not a blessing, sure, there's going to be questions that arise. And maybe you've experienced that. And you begin to wonder, okay, God, where are you at? So, so John's in prison, a place of loneliness, abandoned, a place of questioning. But listen, it's a place where doubt settles in for John. He's in prison. So maybe it was his overwhelming circumstances that led to his doubt. And the reason I'm saying this is because the same thing's true for us. For many of us, if we looked at our lives, we've all had issues. We've all had moments in our life where things have happened to us. L listen, life just happens, doesn't it? Don't you wish you can control your life? Actually, probably more screwed up than it is now. I promise you that because that's the way I'm wired. But I mean, there's a point of me going, if I could just orchestrate, if I could just switch. Listen, life just happens. There's some things in life you can control. Decisions that you make. But there's some things in life you have no control over at all. They come out of left field. You don't see them coming. And when they hit you, they hit you hard. 
And for some of us, life just happens. And when life happens, oftentimes it leads to doubt in our hearts. And listen, it leaves us possibly like it left John, feeling alone, feeling abandoned, feeling afflicted, feeling like there's some questions in us that we need answers for. And maybe we even begin to say stuff like this, like, Lord, I know you say you have plans for me, but I don't see your plans in this. Lord, I know you say that you're with me forever, but you'll never leave me or forsake me. But Lord, I really don't feel your presence in my life right now. Or Lord, I know that you tell me that you're going to provide for me, but I don't sense and I don't feel and I'm not experiencing your provision in my life. And we begin to ask those terrible questions of doubt that creep their way into our lives. And my question to you is this, can you relate to John? Listen, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been in ministry for almost 28 years. And in that 28 years, here's what I want to tell you. There have been moments in my life, in 28 years of doing God's work, that I've still wrestled with doubt. Been moments I've walked away from funerals, or moments I've been walking away from a hospital, and I walk out and go, God, I know you're good, but right now it sure doesn't feel like it. I know you're faithful, but man, it sure doesn't feel like it. That's why I started the service by saying truth should always trump emotion. Because that's something we all have to remember. And I think all of us, if we're honest, would say there's moments in our life where we wrestle with doubt. And maybe one reason is overwhelming circumstances. Let me give you a second reason that I believe led to John's doubt. And it's unfulfilled expectations. Look with me in verse 3. It says this. And he said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now think about that statement. Are you really the one? Or do we need to be looking for another Messiah? Listen, this is the guy, once again, who prepared the way for Jesus. This is the guy, once again, who baptized Jesus, heard the voice of God, who said, that is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is the guy that saw Jesus do, I mean, heard Jesus do amazing things. This is that guy. This is the guy who said, he must increase, I must decrease. This is that guy, yet he finds himself in this place. Are you really the one, or do we need to look elsewhere? Now, something shifted in John's mind. Something shifted. There's a moment, I mean, think about it. There's a moment he went from great conviction to now what he's saying is, I don't know that you're the one. Now, think about that. He sends word to Jesus because he's in prison. Jesus isn't. He sends word to his disciples, and he says, basically, say this to Jesus. I'm not sure that you're the one. In other words, what I see and hear about you and what I expect from you aren't the same thing. Did you hear me? What I see and hear about you and what I expect from you are not the same thing. Here's what I mean. John was a Jew. John understood what Jewish people understood about the Messiah to come. What do they think about the Messiah? They thought he was going to come and overthrow Rome. And they thought he was going to come and set up his earthly kingdom. Good news. Jesus did none of that, right? And when Jesus was here and he was living on this earth, guess what? Sin still ran rampant. Rome was still in control. And Jesus refused to be crowned king while he was on this earth. So he went totally against the tide. And so John's thinking began to shift at that moment. And he asked a terrible, terrible question. He said, so do we need to look for someone else? Now just hear me. I want you to understand the depth of the question. I'm not sure you're the one. So maybe I need to put my faith in something else. Jesus, I, I, you know, I declared you were the one. I heard God. 
But when I look at my circumstances and I look how you have these, all these expectations I have of you and you've met none of those things, maybe I was naive. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I put my faith in the wrong person. Maybe I need to look for the other Messiah, the real Messiah to come. I mean, think about the depth of this guy's doubt. A guy who had great conviction. Now he has great doubt. Look, look, everybody look at me. Do you see how that's possible in your life and my life? To go from great conviction to great doubt? Don't deny it. It can happen. And it can happen just like that. It can happen in one moment of tragedy. It can happen in one moment of crisis. It can happen in one moment when cancer hits your friend or your family or your own body. It can happen in a moment. And John's mind began to shift. And we don't know why he began to shift. We don't know how he went from conviction to this great doubt. Maybe it was because he had uh, maybe not enough information. You know, when John was in prison, for John, maybe it was worldly influence. He was in prison, and I'm sure there was guys there asking him why he was there. And he's like, I don't know. I've been preaching about this Jesus guy, and I baptized him. It was a great thing. And, and all these worldly influences try to maybe create doubt and confusion. I mean, listen, if you live in the work in the workplace at all, do you think there's a world out there that Satan's trying to manipulate to create confusion in your life about who Jesus is and what he wants to do for you? You better believe it. Maybe it was worldly influence. We don't know. Maybe it was just personal, I love you, and I'm living for you. But if you really were who you say you are, I wouldn't be in prison. Maybe it's personal struggle. We don't know, but here's what we do know. Unfulfilled expectations lead to doubt. And the same thing's true of us. And you may say you don't have unfulfilled expectations of the Lord, but I say we all do. Here's what I mean. Something happens in your life, and we tell you, and we guide you, and we direct you to do what? To pray, to read your Bible, and get before a holy God, right? Those are the right things to do, amen? Okay, only two people convinced. Right things to do, amen? Amen, Amen. it's the right things to do. But sometimes, if you're like me, which you don't need to be like me, when I pray, I pray seeking the Lord's wisdom, but in case he's not really carefully paying attention to me, I give him a plan to go with my wisdom, right? Lord, I want you to intervene, and if you would do it this way, that would be so awesome, right? Right? Lord, I want you to step in, but wait till this moment to step in. As if God's timing is not perfect and his wisdom is less than my wisdom. And so when I pray, I pray with these expectations. Lord, I'm praying, I'm surrendering my life to you. I, Lord, I give this situation to you, but I want you to intervene at this time, at this moment, and in this way. I have these expectations. And then when he doesn't show up the way I want him to show up, what occurs in my heart? Doubt. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Doubt creeps in. I have these expectations, wrong expectations. I put them on the Lord, and then when it didn't happen that way, doubt settles in. Doubt creeps its way into my life. And then we find ourselves beginning to ask the big questions like, you know, Lord, I just don't feel you anymore. Lord, I don't, I don't hear from you anymore. Lord, I don't see your hand moving anymore. And doubt settles into our heart. And can you relate to that? Can you relate to that sometimes doubt creeps in because of unfulfilled expectations we have of the Lord? That's what happened to John. Now, some of you are like, wow, this is a terrible Sunday to come. All I'm filled with right now is doubt, right? But listen to me. I wanted to build that up because of this. Here's a guy who is passionate about the Lord, convicted, totally conviction. Now he has total doubt. Maybe it was his unfulfilled expectations. Maybe it was his overwhelming consequences. But the bottom line is this. Look what Jesus said to the disciples to send word back to John. This is the most important part of the story. Verse 4 says this. And Jesus answered them, you go and tell John what you hear and what you see. 
Here's what it is. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now here's what Jesus says. You tell John. You ready? You tell John this. This is so important. Listen, listen. You tell John this. I am the one. I am him. I've raised the deaf. I'm making the lame to walk. I've touched the leper. You tell John. He's not misplaced anything. He doesn't need to look for another. I am the only one. You tell John that. Now, why is that such an important thing to say? Because this is Jesus rebuking John. Now, listen to me. Why in the world did John let doubt creep in? Because somewhere along the line, John forgot who Jesus really was. He forgot the voice that he heard from heaven. He forgot that he said he must increase. Somewhere along the line, he forgot the conviction that he had. In fact, you see that all through Scripture. One of my favorite stories in Mark's Gospel, they feed, Jesus feeds 4,000. You say, well, no, he fed 5,000. Well, he did both if you read your Bible. He did both. He fed five and he fed four. Pretty awesome guy, right? So he did both of those. After they fed the 4,000, they get on the boat to go to the other side, and the disciples begin to look at each other and go, we forgot bread. We forgot the leftovers. All we have is a little loaf, and all we have is a little bit of this. And I love what Jesus said. Jesus intervenes in the conversation. Here's what he says. He doesn't blame anybody going, Peter, you're such an idiot. Philip, you're such a moron. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Here's what Jesus does. Do you remember when I broke the bread? Do you remember when I, you're getting the picture. Jesus takes them because they forgot. I mean, listen, they had just been with Jesus. He had just taken the loaves and the fish enough that wouldn't feed this room. And he multiplied it and it feeded 4,000, we know, men, not counting children and women. So you think about that, at least 10 to 12,000. Jesus fed them all. They had just had that happen and they forgot who they're on the boat with, right? They forgot that I'm on the boat with the miracle worker. I'm on the boat with God in the flesh. That's who I'm on the boat with. And so Jesus calls them, Paul, and says, do you remember when I fed the 4,000? Do you remember when I took the little boy's lunch that could not only feed five of you, and I fed thousands. Do you remember remember when I did that? Now, what's the point? Sometimes in life, when doubt settles in, we need to pause and begin to remember who Jesus really is. We need to pause and grab our sword, the word of God, and be reminded at his power and at his grace and at his love and his miraculous working he did. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget Life happens, circumstances happen, and I get so into a rhythm of the day that I forget the goodness of God. I forget the power of God. I forget how God's going to intervene in my life. I forget, I forget, I forget. And there's some moments God has to knock me up the head and go, Doug, just remember, I got you. I'm in control. What is happening in your life did not catch me off guard. I'm all-knowing. I'm all-powerful. I got you. Trust me. See, I love Jesus' response to John. Here's a guy in prison wallowing in doubt. And Jesus says, bro, you forgot. So tell him this. The leper, he's healed. The lame, he's walking. And the dead, he's back to life. And I'm preaching to the poor. And I love how Jesus ends this. He says this. He says, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now, I tell you what, I've done a lot of study on that phrase there. But here's what Jesus is saying. 
Basically, blessed are those who do not allow their presumptions of me to cause them to stumble. So John had this expectation of how Jesus was going to live and what he was going to do. Jesus didn't meet that expectation, therefore John stumbled, right? John stumbled in his faith. John began to doubt. And what Jesus is saying is, blessed are those who don't doubt me, but just trust me. Now, I want you to be super honest today as we close. Isn't it possible for all of us that life situations and circumstances, that our expectations of the Lord that are unmet, that that creates doubt in our heart? It is. And what I'm asking you today is to stop with the doubt and just remember. Remember what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. Really, for the last, oh, since January. Remember the miracles that Jesus performed. Remember the compassion that Jesus showed to people. Remember how he loved people. And he said, listen, he's telling John, there's no need to doubt, bro. I'm in control. I know you're in prison. Now, I'm going to really mess your mind up. You ready? I believe if we could continue to read on and we could get in there that day, here's what I think what Jesus would have ultimately said to John. Not only do I know you're in prison, but I make sure you're there because there's a reason for you to be there. There's a purpose where you're at. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in, John, I have a plan and a purpose behind it. So just Trust me, don't doubt me. Can the same thing be said of us? I don't know about you, but some of you, man, you're on the mountain high of your faith right now. I mean, life is going well. You're loving the Lord, and things are good coming. Some of you, all hell's broke loose in your life. And you have that, you're wallowing in that doubt. Listen to me. You're at where God wants you to be at because he's trying to do something in you that can only happen if you go through it, not around it. But he's with you. And you don't have to doubt him. And if you feel doubt creeping up, just remember. So here's my question for us today. Do you really wrestle with doubt? Has there been a moment in your life where there was conviction, but now there's great uncertainty? And here's the question. Why are you doubting? Has it been a circumstance that's occurred in your life? Or is it this unfulfilled expectation? You think God should respond this way, and he hasn't. But here's the most important thing. Will you hand your doubt over to the Lord today? Now, here's the one thing I didn't talk about that I want to close with. When you look at the story, here's the most fascinating thing about the story. John had doubt. But what did John do with the doubt? Did he just sit there and simmer on it? Nope. Did he sit there and just kind of rally his disciples and go, you know, woe is me? Nope. What did he do with his doubt? He had them send word to Jesus. See, even though he was loaded with doubt, at least he went to the right person who could help him deal with the doubt. And I'm telling you, there's only one person to help you deal with the doubt you have in your heart, and it's the Lord. And would you bring that doubt to him? Listen, he is bigger than you think he is. He can handle your greatest struggle, your greatest doubt, your greatest fear. I mean, you listen, if you feel it, he already knows it. You don't have to just hold back from it. He, if you're angry, he already knows you're angry. But would you just hand it over to the Lord today? Like John went to Jesus through word, would you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've got some real doubts. I'm really struggling. This has happened in my life. Or Lord, I thought you were going to work this way, and you didn't, and, and I'm doubting. But Lord, I want to hand it over to you. And today, today, I want to start remembering. Remembering who you are and what you've done. And instead of doubting you today, Lord, I choose to trust you. You make that decision today. Here's what I'm asking you. To do. Everybody stand up with me if you would. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Everybody stand up with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed.
And just before we pray, I want to say this to you. This altar is open. Maybe doubt is not what is wrecking you today, but you still need to come to get before holy God and just pray. Awesome. This altar is open for you. Who knows how God works through a passage of Scripture? This altar is open for you. But if you are wrestling with doubt, or you've been through a season of doubt, or if you can feel a season of doubt coming on you, today would you just get through a holy, before a holy God and say, Lord, I hand you my doubt. I'm coming to you like John the Baptist came to you. And today I'm choosing not to doubt you, but to trust you. To acknowledge, I know you're in control. I know you're on your throne. I know that you're with me and that you're for me. I choose trust, not doubt. And if you need to do that, this altar is open for you. Lord, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage, Lord, because sometimes in my life, I have so resonated with John the Baptist. Got moments where, where I saw so many great things happen in my life or my ministry. And I turned right around, almost like Elijah, when he preached in Mount Carmel and, and saw all this amazing stuff happen, your wonders and your miracles. But shortly after that, he feared his life and he ran. He went and hid in the cave. Got some of us are in a cave. And we're looking for those big moments for you to intervene. But maybe today what we need to hear is a gentle whisper. And just remember your faithfulness. Just remember how you've continually protected us and provided for us. Remember the miracles we see in Scripture and how you're still a miracle-working God. God, I pray for people today where doubt has settled in or where doubt is beginning to settle in, that today we would rebuke it, that today we would make a choice to trust you, not doubt you. Lord, I don't know how you're going to work today, but here's what I do pray, that your Holy Spirit would have his way with all of us. If we need to be coming to the altar to get before you, would you convict us and challenge us to do that? If we're here today and we've never trusted you, but we're reminded how much you love us and want to accept you as our Savior, would we do that today, Lord? Would we either put it on the card that we fill out or would we come forward and let someone know that today I want to trust Jesus? Lord, today is your day. We give this moment to you and we ask you to wreck us, to melt us, to mold us, to challenge us. But most importantly today, Lord, would you change us from the inside out? Search our hearts. And where there's doubt, may you implant trust. We need you, Lord, in this hour and in this moment. May you have your way. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen, amen. You move as the Lord will lead you.